Hey, Goalgetters. Maggie here from the We Got Goals podcast. This week's episode is with Chef Ryan Kickert from The Little Beat Table. He's the executive chef there. I got to talk to him about his entire journey from being one of the first in his family to go to college to deciding that his ad and PR track wasn't for him and that he really wanted to be a chef. So he had to find his own way. He had to find his own mentors. Um, He moved to Chicago and he has really made a name for himself since he's been here. So I got to hear throughout that journey what he's learned along the way, what some of his big goals he's accomplished have been, and where he is now, now that he is such an established figure in the restaurant industry in Chicago, what he's working on, and how you can find him. One of my favorite things that I heard him say was that working in the kitchen is like a dance and that it's chaos, just like you could imagine in the movies, but it's a beautiful chaos and that he has learned to roll with the punches and he's really learned to find the calm within the chaos, as he says. And I found that that was such a relatable thing that we're always dealing with chaos in our lives, whether it is in the kitchen uh, and we can't stand the heat, we have to get out. <laughs> uh, or, or if it's some other kind of chaos where we would want to run from it or we'd want to fight with it, there's always that third option to kind of stay and to breathe through it. Uh, I think about that a lot in yoga, which I teach and which I practice a lot. Um, But hearing him say it within this other industry that I don't know a whole lot about was really fascinating and almost eye-opening. It gave us something really interesting to talk about and just kind of learning that the lessons that you can take from whatever your career is, is a, a lesson for life. And it's a lesson that we probably all learn in some way, shape, or form. Uh, We also talked about, actually, off of the recording, it was after we finished our interview, we talked a lot about um, how mishaps in the kitchen are common. You're working quickly, and you have to learn how to kind of roll with the punches when things go awry. He talked about um, some off-site catering gigs where when he got there, he realized he didn't have a key ingredient or he dropped an entire container of soup and he had to figure out how to create a different um, menu item on the fly. And I just found A, that to be one of the most stressful things that I could imagine happening. But uh, again, how you take what you learn in any given instance and you apply it to how you apply it to your life outside of that instance. So just being able to see what you've got, make do with it, and make the best of it. Um, So I I loved this interview with Chef Ryan, and I hope that you do too. And if you're um, in Chicago, you can check out the Little Beat table in the Gold Coast. It's a primarily gluten-free menu. Uh, He talks a lot about that trend of eating gluten-free and how demystifying the the idea of a gluten-free lifestyle has to be something that is less than tasty or not affordable. Um, so without further ado, here is my interview with Ryan Kickert. Yeah, I said I'll be on a road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not... Hey guys, Maggie here on the We Got Goals podcast. I'm here today with Ryan Kickert. He is the executive chef of the Little Beat Table. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. 
So Ryan, you're the executive chef of the Little Bee Table, which is uh, not only a restaurant in Chicago, it's along the East Coast. It started in New York, and now there's quite a few locations. It's all gluten-free, um, but your your chef journey didn't begin as just a, a gluten-free chef kind of experiential uh, journey, did it? No, not at all. And actually, uh, I've been at Little Bee Table for about a year now, so I'm kind of Started with a bit of a learning curve myself. Um, I started out in traditional restaurants. I've worked at concept barbecue concepts, uh, you know, French concepts. Um, started out in country clubs, steakhouses. So to go from kind of that extreme where you know we have a feature item that's an eight-pound hamburger to moving uh, to the complete opposite direction of you know healthy eating, uh, gluten-free, and you know kind of like a experiential uh, lifestyle brand. It's been it's been very interesting and actually very rewarding to learn to learn and to do some research and just like experience stories of how people uh, kind of arrived at, at this at this stage where they're they're seeking out helpful options um, and it's really exciting and I'm really happy and proud that I'm like kind of becoming part of this community. So I'd love to to go back a minute and kind of hear about your desire to become a chef in the first place um, and to hear about how you fell in love with cooking in general. Sure. So I'm actually from a, uh, a smaller town, uh, just about an hour north of Milwaukee. So me being in the Midwest, obviously growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. Like my parents have five kids. <laughs> um, so yeah, humble beginnings. And, you know, we didn't have like a lot of great food. I probably grew up eating, you know, Stoker's frozen food because that was what was convenient and easy. So it wasn't really until my first job, I got a job as a dishwasher at a country club. Um, in my hometown. And it wasn't until then I really got to experience like eating fresh seafood and eating like fresh proteins and fresh greens and like introduced to a variety of, of produce. Um, and then also just working with great chefs and just the atmosphere, like the action, the, you know, the excitement. And, you know, uh, I thought these guys I was working with were like complete rock stars. And I, I just wanted to kind of emulate them and, and, learn more and it was just a very exciting career and kind of like even at that point I knew like this was for me um and I actually went to school for journalism did some internships and realized that uh you know I, I couldn't sit in an office for eight to ten hours a day I love being on my feet love working with my hands I love interacting with people so um yeah though like the you know it's long hours it's a lot of work but the excitement of the kitchen is really really rewarding when I hear you talk about going to school for something else and realizing that that wasn't your passion and you actually knew your passion all along, uh, that's something that resonates with me because I, I think that we tend to think that there's a, a line of what you should do and the track that you should be on. I also went to school for journalism and I, I use those skills now, but in a very different way than I thought I was going to. Uh, so I, I find that really funny and interesting uh, that you also had that experience. And I'd love to hear from you maybe just about that turning point in your mind where you kind of had to come to that realization where a career track that may have been a little bit scarier was actually kind of the path and the goal that you wanted to go towards. Sure. So uh, I was actually, my older brother and I, we were like the first ones in my family to attend a four-year college. So I knew early on that was a goal and just something, you know, coming from, you know, very humble beginnings. That it was just always something I wanted to do. I was like, I want to have a four-year degree. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I started out and I was, you know, into like art and images. And I, I started kind of discovering like pop art. Um, and then in cooking, you know, those two worlds definitely kind of go together. So I'm like, if I can have something that's artistic and creative, 
and um, you know, I get to, to to be in the arts, so to speak, with with design and advertising. That's something that interested me. So I kind of pursued that, and uh, you know, also just like the connection. You know, I heard about the networking opportunities of a, of a four year college, and just like the lifelong friendships you make. And you know, although you do put yourself in a little bit of debt, it, it was worth it. And you know, I've, I have connections and lifelong friends I made at college, which you know, I, I would never take that back or wouldn't change that. Um, but also, you know, now, especially since social media is so popular and, you know, being a chef, like it is a very marketing driven, you know, I'm here today talking to you. Uh, so like a lot of the things I actually learned in ad PR kind of have translated into restaurant marketing because as a chef, like, you know, these days you are the face, you are kind of the, the people, the person people want to talk to and, uh, you know, they kind of create the hype for the restaurant. So it's, it's weird how all of those things have kind of come together and become, you know, one homogeneous like career for me. So it's been, it's been fun. So your journey from going from cooking from, you know, for fun on your own to then kind of finding mentors on your own, I'm assuming, and then kind of creating that path for yourself uh, is also interesting and I want to hear more from your perspective, like how you picked the places where you did pick to to learn and to be mentored and to find your way now to be the executive chef at the Little Beat Table. So after college, uh, you know, I was in Milwaukee and I think most young chefs, especially nowadays, you want to work for the best group you can be with. Do you want to like work for the people who who are getting the media attention and, and who are kind of driving the industry and who are, are true leaders who are innovative, who are exciting. Um, and that's that's why you do it. And that's why you work for little or nothing and work a ton of hours. A lot of people work for free when they start out because you want that exposure. But I got a, a chance in Milwaukee to work for Barlotta Restaurant Group, which was kind of like the go-to, probably is still the go-to in that market. Um, you know, they have James Beard winning chefs and, you know, we're just like tons of accolades. So I think it's, especially when you start out, it's important to kind of find those mentors and find people who... Who are willing to invest the time in you um, because really you know you're sort of getting paid in, in a free education so to speak uh, especially if you don't go to culinary school so I think each you know kind of move and uh, direction I've gone in has always been like I want to work for the best I want to be the best I want to like continue to be exposed to all these different concepts and different types of cuisine and it's important early in your career as a, as a chef to, to to take the time I mean I have young cooks who have worked for me who, you know, I don't want to lose, but then I'll encourage them. I'm like, go work here for a year, go work here for a year. So it's kind of, you know, you can't be selfish and, and hold people back. You really need to just encourage people to move on. And, and especially when they're young, uh, just experience as many different concepts and cuisines and cultures of different restaurants as they can, because it's really how you choose your path of where you want to go. So um, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of great mentors, so that's something that now I, I try to share with other young cooks. What is your favorite type of cuisine to cook? That is a very common question uh, that most chefs get, or like people be like, what's your signature dish? Um, and, I, and my answer to that question is usually something I made last week, because part of the process and the excitement of this career is um, constantly learning, constantly trying new things. So. Uh, people even ask me, what's your favorite restaurant? I'm like, I don't never really go to the same restaurant twice because I always want to see what's new, what's cool, what's happening. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I think my favorite thing is whatever the next thing is. So if you ask to any great chef, 
you know, how they learn. They're just constantly buying cookbooks, constantly doing research, constantly eating out, communicating with other uh, chefs in the community. It is a very competitive, um, you know, market and a very competitive kind of industry, but you'd be surprised how much people really do collaborate, work together and share ideas, um, best practices, things like that. So, yeah, I guess there's no real one answer, but uh, I just like trying, trying out new things. I love that. Whatever you cooked yesterday, like <laughs> yeah. apply to life. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you always want to push the boundaries of what you can do and experience as much as you can. I think about it being like a sponge and just soaking it all in. Uh, so the the biggest question that we like to ask on this podcast is, what's a big goal that you've accomplished that you're proud to say out loud, and why was it important to you? Sure, I think um, you know, in, in in this career and in life, I've found that it's, you know, the best advice that I've gotten is to set daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, and then sort of just like, you know, keep, keep building on that inch by inch, like a cinch. So I try to to focus on things like weekly. Um, You know, some of the chefs I've worked with recently, they're like, just do one thing today, like just accomplish one, like, you know, if you try to take it all in at once, it's too much, especially restaurants are hectic, things change every day. Um, So so I think in the short term, I've really just tried to like work day to day. But a goal, I think, uh, if you look at the longer spectrum, you know, like uh, I mentioned earlier, starting at Little B, I really had kind of a tight learning curve. And there's sort of this like mystery around gluten-free eating and healthy eating. People think it's really expensive. People think, uh, you know, you need to go Whole Foods and only buy organic and spend your whole paycheck. Um, but there's there's really, as I've, I've discovered, and a goal of mine was to just learn more about um, healthy eating in general, um, and using alternative products like getting rid of dairy, getting rid of sugar, finding alternative sources for that. Um, that's been a goal of mine, and I've learned more in the last year than I have probably in the last five or six years, kind of sticking with the same sort of traditional cuisine. So uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and I think uh, something that's really rewarding about this job is sort of demystifying this whole health food, especially as people are, you know, maybe discover they have celiac disease or as they're learning or they're looking for products um, outside of just going to Whole Foods, you know, I'm giving people resources online to find things. And it it, it really gives you an opportunity as you do more research to find that it is affordable and that you can find great restaurants like Little Beat to go to that have options that are safe and healthy. But then you still get a traditional restaurant experience. And that's really what we're there for. And what we're really trying to provide people is kind of, uh, you know, this this hug that's embracing them where other restaurants might be. Well, we kind of do this. We sort of do this. Um, we truly try to be a great restaurant and, um, you know, offer and educate and, and just just be there as true restaurateurs and offer like sincere hospitality. So that's a goal of mine and something I've been striving for. I love hearing you say that just the education around healthy eating and and being gluten-free, really understanding what that is, is a goal in and of itself and one that you're that you've been working on and then it's probably always a a journey and a process. But um, let's talk about some of the myths, some of the I guess the the word gluten-free has all of these like connotations around it. Um, and what does it really mean to be gluten-free? What you can and can't do or eat and experience. Um, you know, what have you found have been some of the, I don't know, more freeing pieces of information that you've learned about what does it mean to eat gluten-free and then to still live like an awesome lifestyle? Sure. I think part of the misconceptions, so to speak, is that 
you know, if you're getting alternative gluten-free bread products that they're taste like cardboard or they're stale or they're, they're just not going to be good. But, um, you know, some of the things that came out, you know, maybe 10 years ago were sort of created that sort of, um, myth, I guess, so to speak. But as we've researched, there are some great products out there. Uh, there's also some, like we, we get our flatbreads from a company, uh, just in, uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. We get all of our buns and all of our breads from, uh, right here in Illinois. So it's kind of the days of like Udi's is the only name in the game have, have far gone. And then there's also great local bakeries that do gluten-free. Um, so it, there's there's plenty of options out there if you do a little bit of research and you'll find that they are like actually very affordable. Um, and then the other thing too is like a lot the kind of like American diet is, is, has sort of moved into all these like cheaper like flours and expensive. So a lot of things have sort of unnecessary gluten in them. So what we found is we cook a lot of uh, kind of Latin and like Indian dishes that without even trying are naturally gluten-free. Um, and you also go to the grocery store and see p- packaging that's labeled gluten-free, gluten-free, but they're already a gluten-free product. It's sort of like a marketing thing. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it has just been just doing the research. And then you'll, you'll, you'll find that it's, it's a very easy um, to cook gluten-free if you look outside of that sort of basic American diet. There's tons of great flavors. You can gives you the option to use fresh produce, uh, fresh herbs, a lot of different spices, things like that. Um, they, they create great dishes and are just packed with flavor. Uh, so that's, that's something that, that we strive for and also introduce people to new flavors and, and new cuisine. Okay. As, as a very basic cook myself, who I, I cannot even say that I'm a cook because it's a struggle in the kitchen, but, um, I would love just some tips from you about like the spices you're talking about or some easy go-to flavors that are, uh, you know, a pack of great punch and are, are on the gluten-free diet or just in general, like a healthy option. Sure. So, uh, I mean, a lot of people give the advice of shopping around the outside of the grocery store. So using whole foods, uh, whole vegetables is often less expensive as well. Um, and it, it kind of, it's, it's sort of like rewarding to buy some produce. Like a lot of people in this age of Grubhub, you know, it's so easy to just go on the app order some food. But I encourage people like once a week to just go out and buy some unique produce that they've never seen before or that they maybe don't know how to cut up. Grab a YouTube video, figure it out. And it's just one of those small rewards. Something as simple as cutting up like cutting up a pineapple instead of going to the store and buying it prepared. Like teach yourself something, learn something. And then those, those small little wins kind of compile over the day but cooking a meal especially for people that you love that you care about it's very satisfying um and it makes you feel good it makes them feel good so i think as far as tips go i I think uh there's a lot of resources online that you can find um but yeah just and also uh there's tons of great blogs out there i use them a lot myself just to find alternative recipes um that you know maybe it's a classic dish that you love that you grew up eating and then you realize you have celiac disease uh, there's, there's great resources online to find stuff. And then, you know, you can become, like I said, part of this kind of community where you're sharing knowledge, sharing information. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's probably the best way to start out. And then you kind of start learning on your own and then, you know, talk to people, come into restaurants like Little B, talk to the chefs. There's a lot of great resources out there to sort of share knowledge and become part of a community. Okay, so jumping back into Little Beat and actually the experience of being in the restaurant, I'm curious to know from an executive chef's perspective, is the kitchen really that 
hectic like you see in movies? <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> um, but it, it, we call it like the dance. Eventually, you, you kind of learn how to move um, safely. And then after, it, it's great. It's, I have lifelong bonds with cooks and chefs I've worked with because you, you develop this chemistry where it is like a dance. Like it's almost orchestrated and you know what the other person's thinking. A lot of kitchens, you know, you, you expect people like screaming at each other, being loud, like yelling. Um, but some of the most organized kitchens you walk into and some of the like most productive ones, you'll walk in and it's actually very quiet. Things do at times obviously get hectic, but it, it, it's so much fun and it, it makes it, you know, those long 12, 14 hour days, they fly by because things are moving quickly and it, it feels good to be busy. Like you, you want that rush and you get this adrenaline and it pushes you through. And then at the end of the day, you, you feel like, you know, you kind of battled through it, but it, it's very exciting and there's a lot of camaraderie at the end of the day, uh, a lot of high fives, a lot of handshakes, and it's fun. I'm sure there's a sense of if you can handle what happens in the kitchen and managing every customer's expectations and demands at times, then you can handle anything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, so the the next big question that we that we always ask is, what's a big goal that you're working on now or that's on your horizon and how do you plan to get there? Why is it important to you now? Sure. I think, you know, at this stage of my career, I, I really have looked forward to being uh, more selfless and, and being more of a mentor. Like it, it's definitely a trade, you know, just like any other trade, you start out, you need a mentor, you learn, and then you kind of hit the stage of self-preservation where you, you want to move up quickly. So, I mean, they've even heard stories of people like sabotaging cooks each other because they want to like move up. So it, you can get like a little selfish and you, you want to show about and you can be aggressive because, you know, you, you want to rise up quickly. You want to make more money. You want to get to the top. But then you sort of hit this, you know, point, And I feel like in the last like year or two is sort of where I'm at, where you want to give back and you, you feel like you've accomplished enough to where the level where you're like, now I want to share. Now I want to, I want to motivate others. And then even in your own business, a lot of people you, you'll read, there's like this crunch for cooks and crunch for staff. And it's very competitive to just attract basic line cooks. So uh, basically now you, you bring people in and you, you find that kind of diamond in the rough and maybe they don't have any experience at all, but if they're willing to learn and they're willing to put in the time, um, you know, it's, it's a mutual relationship where, where I'm investing my time in someone because I need, I need, them. I need their talent to be successful, um, and and you kind of procure your own your own people now, and you know less and less people are going to culinary school, um, you know the the budgets like restaurants the margins are, are shrinking, rents are high, so it's very difficult to find good people. But I, I kind of it's sort of like a blessing in disguise because now I, I've found in myself this this leadership and this like wanting to be a mentor. And it's beneficial to me and beneficial to them. And a lot of people, um, you know, this is a career where you don't need a formal education. You can walk in and, and if you're a star, you can, you can rise up very quickly. Do you think uh, you have to have like a natural kind of like an athletic ability, like a natural talent uh, from the get go? Or is it something that can be learned and practiced and perfected? Um, I guess it probably goes individual to individual. Um, for me, I, I was always like a very inquisitive person. I always wanted to learn. So even times where there wasn't someone, you know, mentoring or pushing me, I was probably just annoying them, asking them a thousand questions. 
Um, and I just wanted to learn and I wanted, I wanted to, to be part of what was going on and I wanted to move up. So I think if, if you're someone who has an inquisitive nature, if you're someone who wants to be someone who is a lifelong learner of, of a trade of something, uh, I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to have this like physical drive, although it is kind of physically demanding career. Uh, I think if you're curious and you want to learn and you, you have a passion for food, you have a passion for uh, pleasing people. It's a very unique industry. Um, and you get banged up, you get beat up quite a bit, but if you can make it past those first few hurdles, those first couple terrible dishwashing jobs or line cut where you're picking herbs for hours, if you, if you can, make it and love it and still want to come back every day and get up after your feet hurt, your back hurts and you're excited. Um, you know, it, it's a great, very rewarding career. So I, I think for anybody who, who wants to be part of something and feel like truly in, in a collective, uh, nature while every day and have like kind of that work family that will hug you when you're, when you're down and, uh, you know, kick your butt when you need it. it it's, it's, it's a good career. So you're, you're touching on something that I think is pretty common with any really big achievement where we see that moment of, wow, like that's amazing. You are in this place where you're leading the industry of gluten-free cooking as the executive chef of this awesome restaurant. And it just seems like, how cool is that? But there were so many moments along the way where you, like you said, you're picking herbs for hours and your back is hurting and it's hard to get up in the morning and you still did it. Were there moments along your path to where you are now that you that you thought i don't know maybe this isn't for me yeah it's uh it's a, i kind of think about it as i moved to chicago i've been here for about uh seven or eight years now but as i started meeting people who had already lived here they kind of take for granted that they're in this major city and like one of the best food cities in the country if not the world right now uh a lot of you know the best restaurants are open here michelin's here james beard awards are here um so it, it's just moving here, I think, was kind of scary in itself, you know, coming from a small town, Wisconsin, moving to Milwaukee, and then making the transition here, um, you know, it, it was, like, frightening. I'm like, this is kind of I'm a small fish in a big pond. Uh, I remember the first, like, two weeks I moved here, I was in uh, the restaurant I was working at was participating in Chicago Gourmet, and they put out a list of chefs um, that were participating. My name was on there. And I'm scrolling down the name. I'm like Rick Bayless, Stephanie. I was like all these huge rock star chefs. And I'm like, my name is on it. Like it was very scary. Um, so it, it's, I think when people kind of grow up here, they're from here, from a bigger market in general. They take for granted like the journey just to physically move to a big city. Um, you feel out of place for like a long time, and you don't know anybody. It's scary. <laughs> so it's it's been it's been uh, fun now that I feel like I have roots here. Gosh, that's, I mean, that is such a relatable story in being, being the small fish in a big pond. In some way, shape, or form, we are always going to be that small fish in a big pond. Anytime that you set your sights on something a little bit out of your comfort zone, which is always the goal that is like worth going for. It never just comes really easy or just like, I'll just slide over here and do this thing. Like, that's not the goal that you, that you want to talk about. That's the one that is like you say, like the day-to-day -day goals. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, it's so cool to hear just because I think about that too. I'm from a, a smaller town and just being in Chicago, being in a big city that has a lot to offer. And then to want to make your name part of what Chicago has to offer is kind of a huge goal in and of itself. 
yeah, it's a very big deal. Um, like I said, it takes some adjusting. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think along the lines of talking about mentoring people. So when, when people do move, I, I kind of feel for them or, you know, we, the Midwest, everyone kind of like feels this collective, like they're part of something. And a lot of people do move from smaller towns to, to Chicago. So yeah, we kind of like, you know, even though there's like, you know, big 10 rivalries and everyone's kind of has their, has their, their niche or their hometown pride. I think everyone has come, comes together and forms like a great community here. And when people come uh, from out of town, you know, they, I think they feel that too. They feel that, you know, we, whether they walk into the restaurant, they're just hanging out in downtown Chicago in the neighborhood that we sort of have that Midwest vibe and everyone comes together. So it, it's really special to be, to be part of that. And as we look ahead into 2019 or to beyond, um, from your perspective, food trends, where things are headed, you're already at the forefront of like this innovative style of cooking and kind of breaking down those myths that eating healthy has to be super expensive and has to be less tasty. Um, But what else do you think are going to be kind of the trends of the year coming up? Sure. I think um, obviously we've actually seen a huge uh, influx in delivery, which I don't think it's the worst thing. Um, obviously, we love having people into the restaurant, but uh, I think people are more conscious rather than swinging by fast food place or doing through a drive through or something. I think people are either at least procuring like part of their meal from like a delivery service or, um, you know, they're, they're looking for those kind of like healthier options for that, which has is, is been great. Um, and I think also, you know, with the health trends, I think people are at least maybe if they're not eating healthy seven days a week, I think they're starting to to look maybe one meal a day, two meal a day, like meatless Mondays, things like that, where they're, they're at least it's, it's moving in that direction. And I think once they discover, you know, come in and, and try food, like you, you really do feel better. So I, I think there's definitely a trend where people are sort of dipping their toe into the healthy eating lifestyle and that they're, they're seeing results. They're feeling healthier. They're feeling more energized. And I, I think that's just going to continue. And, and it's exciting. And, and like, I, I started eating healthier myself just from even working uh, at Little Beat. And, you know, I leave and it's like, it's easier to get up early in the morning. You know, you have more energy throughout the day. So I think as people sort of discover that uh, those sort of myths and that food can be delicious and nutritious and give you, you know, make you feel good. Um, I think that's just going to keep rolling. Okay. So say you're incredibly tired and you just want to eat a piece of pizza and you want to call it a day, uh, but you decide not to, even though you have no energy to really think about a healthy meal to put together from you, what would be the go-to meal that you could whip up and still say that you had like a nutritious, awesome meal that took no energy to make? Sure. I would take one actually out of my my dad's playbook. Uh, Just, I remember at the beginning of the week, he would always uh you know there was a lot of us not a lot of time he was working like three jobs but he'd always make like a big roast or like a big meal at the beginning of the week um whether it be like some roasted chicken you know beef roast something like that and just like something that was delicious with a lot of fresh vegetables and at the time i would have preferred like kfc or mcdonald's or something (laughs) like a little kid but later in life i realized like wow that was like a very french technique or that he was like slow braising meats and you know it was like inexpensive cuts but really super flavorful and then throughout the week, we would just heat that up, make it for lunches, make it into sandwiches, um, you know, do some roasted chickens at the beginning of the week, pull it, make a light salad. So I've sort of taken that, 
you know, out of necessity of her time and money. And it's actually a great practice to just prepare yourself, take a Monday night, take a Sunday night and sort of plan out your meals throughout the week so that when you're tempted to get Grubhub, tempted to grab that piece of pizza on Friday or Saturday, you might, you already have a plan in place or cook a giant bowl of rice or a giant bowl of quinoa and just have it on hand so that, you know, when those temptations are there, you already have something that's delicious and nutritious uh, ready to go. There's no substitute for making a plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Well, it was awesome to have you on the We Got Goals podcast, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Hey, goal getters. It's co-host Cindy Kuzma here. I'm just popping back in to let you know that we're about to share a goal from one of you, our listeners. If you'd like to be a part of the We Got Goals podcast, here is how you do it. Just get out your phone, your computer, any digital audio recording device, and record a voice memo. Tell us your first name, the town you're from, and one of three things, either a goal you've accomplished and why you're so proud of it, a goal you have for the future and how you plan to get there, or your best goal-getting tip. Email that to me at cindy at sweatlife.com and you could hear your own voice on the airwaves. Thanks again for listening. And now here is one of your goals. Ronnie from Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. One big goal I've already accomplished this year that I'm proud to say aloud is that I overcame my grief of injuries and not being able to be a triathlete anymore and have become a spin instructor. So I recreated myself and what is important to me as far as my fitness. I created Ronnie 2.0, something else for me to be really passionate about and enjoy. Um, The one big goal I have set for next year is to publish or get really close to publishing my memoir of how I overcame 30 years of compulsive overeating. I've been recovered just about 11 years now and I'm super proud of it and I want to pay it forward to all those who are still struggling that if I can recover, you can too. And um, it's already in the works. The book is with the editor so I'm excited to see what happens next. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or review while you're there, we would be so grateful. Special thanks to Jay Mano for our theme music. To our guest this week, Ryan Kickert. To Tech Nexus for the recording studio, Ryan Deffitt for editing, and of course, a special thanks to you, our listeners. <laughs>